Welcome to the Sharing Power Podcast, a production of Flux Theater Ensemble, where we explore what it means to lead together. My name is Jason Sang, and I am one of your co-hosts. I use they, them, and ta pronouns. I am a Chinese-American non-binary person with shoulder-length black wavy hair, and I'm calling in from the Piscataway, Banahoek lands, colonially known as Potomac, Maryland. I'm Corinna Schulenberg. I use she, her pronouns. I am a middle-aged white woman, a trans woman with long uh, strawberry blonde and brownish hair. Uh, I am wearing a grayish bluish short sleeve shirt. And I am joining you from the lands of the Muncie, Lenape, and Canarsie in what is colonially known as Forest Hills, Queens. My name is Lori Parquet. I use she, her pronouns. I am a Black woman with chocolate skin with shoulder-length locks. I'm wearing a brown shirt and my favorite earrings given to me by my mama. And I am calling from the land of the Homa and the Choctaw, colonially known as Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And... For today, the roles that we will be playing in this podcast will be myself as lead facilitator, Lori will be our lead responder, and Corinna will be our lead listener. And that brings us to our guests, Artists at Play. So we have today three of the core members of Artists at Play. We have Marie Wren, Stephanie, and Julia Cho. Could I ask you to introduce yourselves? Stephanie. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm a founder and producing artistic leader of Artists at Play. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a Chinese-American middle-aged woman. I'm wearing a gray shirt with drawings of Yuri Kochiyama and Malcolm X on it, and I have medium-length black straight hair. And I'm currently calling in from the unceded lands of the Tongva people, also known as the San Gabriel Valley of Los Angeles County. Julia. Hi, my name is Julia Cho. I go by she, her pronouns. I am a Korean American female with long, dark, wavy hair. I am wearing a light purple top with a dark purple cardigan. And I threw on this little delicate gold chain just to jazz up the outfit a little bit for y'all today. And also not, not too far from Stephanie on Tongva land. Thank you. And Marie Wren. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Wren. I also go by Marie. I use she, her pronouns. I am a middle-aged Filipino woman with a round face and glasses, like dark-rimmed glasses and ear-length wavy black hair. Today, I'm wearing like an orangey-red lipstick and a uh, a green a bright green top. I'm also calling in from Tongva, Chumash, and Keech lands, uh, currently known as Los Angeles. Thank you so much. So we are talking to Artists at Play. Artists at Play is a theater collective that produces theatrical programming that explores the Asian American experience. In the presentation of these multifaceted stories, they provide resources and a platform for underrepresented theater artists while serving audiences within the Los Angeles community. So since 2008, Artists at Play has provided a launch platform for notable plays by AAPI playwrights, including Lauren Yee's Ching Chong Chinaman, A. Ray Pematmat's Edith Can Shoot Things and Hit Them, which received accolades from GLAAD and the LA Stage Alliance, Carla Ching's The Two Kids That Blow Shit Up, and Leah Nanako Winkler's Two Mile Hollow. 
And just to be perfectly transparent, they also did a reading of my play, Fear and Wonder, a few years ago. That was a really wonderful experience. So that's how I got to know Artists of Play. Um, is there anything you would like to add to what I know about Artists of Play? I guess just a, a slight addendum, because Jason, I noticed you said that we started in 2008, which we kind of sort of did. I think that's how we all met in various capacities and started collaborating in, in different configurations. But Artists at Play itself, we debuted in 2011. So that gotcha. was kind of the the official origins of the of the collective. But we have known each other since... I guess you're right, 2008. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that actually uh, that sounds very similar to kind of the folk history of Flux Theater Ensemble as well. You know, there uh, were a lot of kind of like constellations and Tetris configurations of folks that got together. And it was, I think it took a little while before Flux kind of ca started calling itself Flux, even though the work was kind of very similar. So one thing that we like to do in, in everything in our practice of kind of collective work at Flux is we do check-ins. And so that is just where we kind of allow ourselves to enter the, the space kind of with our full humanity with a question. So our check-in today is, what is bringing you joy right now? And I can model this behavior. And so what is bringing me joy right now is I just ate a very delicious but way too filling lunch of a cold soba noodles and a grilled mackerel, and it's just filling my tummy. Corinna, would you like to go next? Sure. Mine will also be food themed. I just drank a beautiful Bloody Mary, no alcohol, but a very spicy local farmer's market Bloody Mary, which not only was delicious, but was sort of the signature drink that I used to make and enjoy with my sister who passed away last year. And so drinking this Buddy Mary that was so good makes me feel close to her. And although there is sadness, there's also a lot of joy in that closeness. Lori, how about you? I'm facing a window right now and there's a big oak tree outside of my window. I'm, I'm, I'm in Louisiana, so there are oak trees everywhere. And literally there's all kinds of birds that fly in and out. So if you see my eyes darting, that's what I'm, I'm just always gonna look at the birds. But today there were two cardinals that, that just flew into the tree and they landed like right in front of me. And I took a moment, I just remember li literally smiling at them. And I was like, oh, those are the first two cardinals that I've seen sitting in this window on numerous Zoom meetings and first two cardinals of the season perhaps, or just in my time at this window. And it was really nice. Spring time. Who would love to go next? Marie. Yeah, I actually, can I, can I piggyback off of that? Because I have like, in terms of birds, birds are bringing me so much joy right now. Uh, I, my, my day job is working events and I just did a series. I completed a, a three event series on birds and birding and, and so it's, it's the the thing that I've taken away from these events is actually like just being able to stop and notice a bit more as I'm walking outdoors, as I'm sitting in my home and I'm looking outside a window is just 
birds and all the different kinds of birds. And my favorite birds are the small ones, the teeny tiny small ones. And, and especially specifically bush tits. Like I've been learning about the um, American bush tit and how they, their, their survival skills around, like if they can't do it, if they can't like get through something on their own, they'll join other kinds of flocks of birds. And it's just really beautiful. And I, I just, I love them so much and they're really small and tiny and cute. And they're bringing me joy right now. Oh, I love that. Oh gosh, we need to nerd about nerd out about some birds. I was recently introduced to this bird called the the sage grouse, and it makes this really weird mating call that sounds exactly like the sound that Slack makes when it invites you to a huddle. And it's so weird. <laughs> Who's next? Julia? Uh, oh my gosh. I, I am filled with joy hearing about all these things that are bringing you all joy. I will say, you know, not to be cheesy about it, but I think actually being on the Zoom is bringing me joy right now. I knew today was going to be stacked with kind of back-to-back Zooms, but being here with you all and my fellow AAP pals, producing artistic leaders. It's an acronym I'm trying to make happen just kind of by myself for now. (laughs) But I think also because internally artists at play, we've been busy prepping for uh, a number of different upcoming events. So it's, it's nice just to gather here in this kind of context and also connect with other theater makers in other places. How cool is that? So yeah, that's what's bringing me joy right now. Awesome. It's super cool. And Stephanie, take us away. I just finished having breakfast with my husband. So I work from home and my husband's a stay at home dad. So he made us breakfast. And so we usually in the morning sit together and have breakfast together before I hop on my computer to work and he starts doing, you know, his uh, errands and chores for the day. So that's something that I always look forward to and uh, my husband made a really special breakfast for us this morning. So just really happy that I can spend that kind of time with him in the morning before the day starts to get hectic. Yes, wholesome masculinity. <laughs> so you guys were talking a little bit of actually about one of the first questions I was going to ask you about the kind of the origins of artists at play. I'm really curious. I mean, you you share a little bit about on about it on your website about how kind of y'all y'all kind of organically started working together. Um, but I'm really interested in when it uh, became a thing that's like, oh no, we actually need to give ourselves a name. We need to like we want to do this intentionally. And I'm curious about specifically, did consensus based distributed leadership was that foundational or did you come to that kind of later? I'm just curious about like your origin story. Well, it's funny that there's so much more vocabulary now to describe who we are and how we operate. Like, I don't even know if we would have described it as like a foundational principle that we, we follow or abide by this lateral, lateral leadership model. And I'm even using that in quotation marks. It was the three of us with Peter J. Quo And even, you know, whatever intentionality was behind, like we should come up with a name and come up with a mission and vision statements that all still kind of came about accidentally because we wanted to put on a show and to put on a show, there were certain opportunities that came our way. And, but in order to apply for these opportunities, you needed to have certain things in place. And so funny enough, going back to how 
we had worked together. We had known each other since around 2008. So 2010, 2011, prior to our debut production, which was Lauren Yee's Ching Chong Chinaman, we we had this opportunity to apply for this residency program, but we needed to be an organization, which we were technically not at the time. But because we were also encouraged to apply, we're like, let's go for it and see what happens. And I think throughout that process is really um, how we came to discover that we enjoyed working together. Uh, we worked well together. And so it was it was the four of us from from the beginning. And I don't know if there ever was even um, consideration of, you know, delineating or finding some sort of hierarchy within within our roles. And it was always just us on the same page, on equal footing, making these decisions di di diplomatically, communally. And that's just, I don't know, that's just how it was from the beginning. And we've we've tried to maintain that. We've given ourselves, now we've like come up with different titles. And now that since also our team has expanded, but I feel like that's just how it came about. And it's it's worked for us and, and we're sticking to it, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I think that one of the things that we really started with was understanding that everyone has different skill sets and different strengths. And it was wanting to respect all those different skill sets and strengths as equals rather than through a hierarchy, right? Like I don't necessarily, at the time, you know, I was not a theater major, so I kind of have I had the kind of least like basic kind of theater foundational knowledge at the time, but that didn't mean that I couldn't contribute and wasn't going to be able to work in an administrative role just because I didn't necessarily understand like what tech was or how designers worked. Right. So I think it was really recognizing that everyone had strength to bring together in creating our first show together. And it was continuing that idea as we wrote a mission statement, as we figured out, you know, how do we plan a, our, our next season? What are the programs that we want to do? And it was taking all of that knowledge and interest and seeing it as us being able to work together as a collective rather than as a you know, traditional kind of theater company that has an artistic director and imagine managing director, and then you go down the line. Yeah, and and I remember when we were working on this like residency application, and you know, and so so we you know, I feel like there was also a moment where we saw this as an opportunity to build something fresh and new, and like what is sort of like a dream way to work together. And, and like, and building off of what Stephanie said of what are our strengths, but also like, what are like best practices that we could bring to the table around administration, like theater administration or arts administration and, and like what, what, and, and like, and from our experiences working on productions, um, whether produced independently or produced with other nonprofit or for-profit organizations of like what 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 were things that we saw really worked where where do we see that artists need support and I think that's also also kind of where artists at play came about as a name 
of like, we will take care of all the stuff so that artists can play. Right. And, mm. and so, yeah, of like, I, at least like the way that I saw it or the way that I was coming into it was that each of us really wanted to take on the producerial roles in, in the best ways that we could so that artists didn't have to worry about marketing, didn't have to worry about house management or, you know, because those were all details that we knew that we already had practices in and, and could bring that into our theater practice. Beautiful. Lori. It, it's, it really sounds like there was kind of like an organic formulation of, of the group, the organization artists at play and, and that that's valued, like moving organically and intuitively. And I just wonder how important is that to the type of leadership model that you all are employing and how, how, how is that communicated to members who join as you all have grown since, since the beginning? Does it remain a value to, to move organically or do those systems really come into, into play? I, I think that as we've now existed for 12 years and first, you know, operated as a sole proprietorship and then became a LLC, like an incorporated for-profit company and now a nonprofit organization, it is hard to always move organically because there are these kind of legal expectations and ramifications and consequences that you have, that you inevitably have to follow. So there has been needed to be have some structure systems put in, at least on the administrative side. But I do think that artistically, we're still very much looking at what's what excites us, what is out there, who do we want to work with, who wants to work with us. You know, one of the big credits I think that we get is that we 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 hardly ever say no we will look at the scope of the work and look at what's what works for us but if it's someone or something that we're truly excited about and all of us are excited about and that's i think that's the other thing is that we all have to be on board with a project and there's three of us as the producing artistic leaders but there's also three other producers on our team who are just as important in the decision-making process as the three of us. Like we'll never, we never veto somebody, for example. It's always consensus building when we make our decisions around the artistic programming. So that I think has very much stayed the same from 2011. But yeah, it's very hard to keep everything that organic and natural in a way because there are just so many more expectations, grant applications, and who does that and how do you do it? And unfortunately, that can't come, there that, There has to be systems kind of placed around that for that, those, that type of work to get done. You know, oh, yeah. and I, I, I do think that if anything, it took a while for the the theater world, like people outside of our, our company to understand who was in charge, so to speak, because we're so used to that model of, you know, with one individual being the face of a company. And no, it's it, it was the four of us with Peter, and now it's the three of us. 
and kind of not really veering away from that. And eventually over time, people have recognized that it's it's the three of us who are leading artists at play. In the before times, it got to a point where if people saw just two or three of us just at an event or at a show, like huddled together, it's like, oh, are you guys having a meeting? <laughs> like, no, we're just we're just here hanging out. <laughs> but I will say the the more organic origins of our collective have have led us to a point where we realize like there really aren't rules, you know, like whatever, whatever so-called rules that other institutions or culturally, societally that we feel like we have to adhere to when you're running a company, those actually aren't fixed. Nothing is set in stone. So it kind of allows us that freedom to explore and take risks and do things that are unconventional. Like, especially, you know, since the pandemic, this, the current season that we're looking at now is very different from what a, a standard season used to look like for us. And even that season, it took us a number of years to get to more of this kind of template of what a typical year would look like for us. And even since then, things have changed. And I think that's that's part of the silver lining of of, of the type of leadership model and just operations of artists at play that we can change things up. And yeah, and it's funny because it's theater, right? So I feel like in theater, there are no rules, but it's it's interesting how, I don't know, over, over, over time or just being maybe operating in like larger institutions, we feel like there are, but there aren't. <laughs> yes, I really, really love to hear that because literally flux right now is is in the middle of what we are calling a season of experiments because mm-hmm. the world is different we are different we've all been through this collective thing of the pandemic and you know knowing that moving organically even if it can't always happen with all of the you know bureaucratic stuff that needs to occur in having an organization it does allow you to respond to what is or what isn't to, to, to be able to respond to what feels good and what doesn't feel good. So I love hearing that, that that's a value to you all. It also reminds me a lot of, because, you know, like Flux over the years has 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 expanded and shrunk in as people, you know, enter the collective and, 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 and leave it. And that, and, you know, it took us, you know, I think we're still figuring out how that works. And, and it's interesting because, you know, like recently, you know, like we, we've been looking at, you know, like how, how do we like offer creative partnership to new people? And we've been looking at like how we've done it in the past. And it, it was this very kind of organic thing, but there was all this, also this kind of like, kind of almost like a, you know, survivor, like a like voting <laughs> process that also occurs. But then there's also, I felt like we, that, that we've noticed that like there, there, there is, we needed to cre- create some kinds of, maybe not formalities, but a, a system to, to kind of manage that process. Because, you know, on one hand, you know, like, like the, the, the ebb and flow of, of of organic kind of relational like things sometimes those can create like unconscious biases in terms of like you know who shows up at the table because if we're just inviting our friends and like sometimes those friends aren't you know as diverse as we want them to be or as like, ha- like with with a, an eye towards like power or class or any of these other kind of identity markers i'm curious about though about how you know as uh, artists of play has evolved over the you know past 
you know, 10, 15 years that y'all have been collaborating together, like how does one, how does the power operate kind of differently within uh, Arts of Play versus like, I guess, a traditional theater company or other places that you have kind of like produced work? But I'm also curious about like how, how you grow and how do you invite people into this culture? Marie? I mean, I, I, I would say like, for the first part of that question around around power and how it feels different i there there is there is really like a sense of shared power between between everyone who's involved with artists at play it's at least like where i'm coming from it's like a matter of presence and and showing up and and listening and listening to the people who are there too like I, I love hearing, you know, from any, like hear, hearing anyone's opinions in our group, whenever we meet, we, when, whenever we meet online, it's usually, we have like a, a check-in as well about what we've been up to and what we've seen and what we've done in the time since the last time we met. And, and just even hearing people's opinions on what, what they've seen and shows then, it it gives it, I, I, it it's really interesting to just hear 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 everyone's input, and 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 I feel like we we take extra effort to make sure that everyone has a chance to be heard, especially when we're making decisions and deciding what are we moving towards, and 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 just giving that space. I think I think just having that that space available to offer up ideas. And, and, and like to offer up ideas, especially when we're doing like programming or discussing what what is the year going to look like. Um, I, I feel like there have been really wonderful times when someone has come up and said, you know, I really think that we need to focus our new play development on this, on a topic or a demographic, you know, a demographic a demographic of people we haven't worked with, and so. And that could be, you know, on based on any kind of identity. And so, and, and, and so we'll, we'll just, okay, that that's a really great direction. And let's like, how, how do we do that? And, and so we're always working together on, on like, what are the different kind of components that we want to think of and consider for, for programming that we want to move forward in for a play or looking for plays and, and and then also like making sure that everyone reads it is is helpful. It just it just takes it just takes a little bit longer, right? It just everyone has to do their homework. Everyone needs the time to do their homework, and we need the space to also be able to be creative about how how that is done. Mm, I hear that. I mean, we often talk about like moving at the speed of trust, but oftentimes it's moving at the speed of how fast everybody can read a document. <laughs> I think part of the, you know, this, this shared power, it's, there's also shared knowledge that comes from empowering everyone in the room. And, you know, the fact that we are able to help guide and nurture newer, younger members of our team to speak up and allow their voices to be heard. But that is, on us enough that we are willing to hear them. So then, you know, egos are not really in the equation. You know, if there are, we want to be called out and, and we not, we want to be able to pay attention to any gaps or oversights in, in our conversations. 
So we're really, if anything, that that shared power, shared knowledge, all of that just leads to just more discourse and, and dialogue. And that that leads to, I think, just just more open-mindedness and more, again, like just imaginative ways to to create theater. And in in terms of expanding our team, I think that maybe was part of your second part of the question, Jason. You know, we we're always open to whoever wants to work with us. And it it's kind of worked in our favor. You know, we rarely do any concerted outreach, maybe one time for and then that's how we ended up with Catherine Chow, you know, who ended up joining Nicholas Pilipil, who also came to us after working with and Peter and and myself on a on a separate production. I think Stephanie, you were on that too. Um and so, and even now, like last summer, we had like three interns who just found us. And so they came to us and they, again, in terms of like organic development, we kind of had to figure out what, what kind of intern slash volunteer system do we need to, should we have in place? Because we have people who want to intern and volunteer for us. So Marie has kind of helped oversee that. And we had a lovely summer with these three amazing young theater makers who give us so much hope. But again, with these interns and everyone else on the team, I know I've personally learned from my fellow pals and tried to be better about checking in with each other in terms of just capacity and how we all operate at different speeds, at different levels, just depending on where we're at in life. And just to respect that and honor that, not only for others, but for myself. And we don't have to burn ourselves out if it's not absolutely necessary. And also if it feels like we're at that point, there are others on the team who can, who can help out. And so trusting that. And that's, I feel like that is such an important lesson I've learned from, from our, our, our group, from each other. Yeah, that, that issue of burnout is definitely one that resonates with me. It, it one of Flux's core values is, is we call it rigor and release, but I, I think operationally that, where that shows up is that people can, like, move, can move forward and move back because like, you know, life is life, you know, sometimes you, you can't operate at like 60 miles per hour something that's sometimes you got to take it take it slow and let somebody else take the lead i saw laura you wanted to say, you wanted to add something to that but oh, laura you're muted that is an amateur move just this notion that this notion of shared knowledge right and that there's value in that one of our first guests were two members of the park slope food co-op in new york and that is a member-owned food grocery collective that has over 15,000 members and uh, they are all stakeholders in the, in the business and they have general meetings. And, you know, one of the board members was saying that knowing that the 84 year old member who's been there for decades has wisdom as much as the single mother who's just joined and this is their first meeting. And as much, as much, as much as any board member or any person who just shows up and works their shift and doesn't involve themselves in the 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 decision making process that everyone has knowledge and that that knowledge is valuable and actually helps us get to where we want to be collectively yeah and it also reminds me recently Karen and I were on a on a meeting I think just yesterday 
where we were starting a project with a bunch of folks who had never kind of, I guess, like formally collaborated with Flux on a kind of creative project. And we kind of did a great job of kind of like taking the time in, that was needed to kind of set some like cultural expectations about what it meant to work together. Because a lot of folks come, you know, to us from the field where you don't assume that you have a voice when you walk into the room. You are, you expect to be, you know, told to like, not speak until you're spoken to, um, or to take a note and not give any, you know, sort of feedback. Um, and so it like it was really interesting to watch folks um enter the space and be like, well, I've I've actually never been told that I can have an opinion or 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 to be told that it's okay for me to push back on something or to, you know, and and that kind of like I think we really have a tendency tendency to like kind of to kind of gloss over that kind of like cultural work of, of establishing like new norms for 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 like you know what it means to work together versus like following a single person but yeah I just wanted to like bring that into the room that is what is so important is is being able to also share our past experiences I feel like you know I, I feel like a lot of our check-ins also have to do with like what else are we experiencing outside of theater or artists at play and and when, you know, especially in the beginning, when we were meeting a lot, we would, and especially in trying to figure out what is the process for casting or what is the process for, for marketing and, and community outreach. And so we would share like what, what our experiences were in the past, what we saw kind of were either productive or helpful and, and, and the practices that we thought were inequitable that were, you know, that, that felt that felt exploitative and, you know, and so, so we put a lot of like intentionality and, and like, and yeah, in, intentionality into how, how we make decisions and how, and how power is sort of distributed, but also like out of necessity, right? Each of us outside of artists at play also has other jobs and careers or jobs and, and priorities. And so I don't think I could have done artists at play without everyone else. I, I would have been like, sorry, <laughs> no way. <laughs> right. And, and, and kind of going back to like bringing our knowledge and our experiences to the table. I feel like it's also still a practice that we continue as well, because there's always something to learn or glean or be like, okay, we're never going to do it that way. <laughs> like, you know, or, you know, like, like, oh my gosh, I went, went, you know, I, I showed up to something and, and their COVID test site was, it looked like this and let's, let's do something different or let's, let's copy that, you know, just kind of really, we're always taking notes on, on how things are done. I feel like I'm talking so generally, but, but, but yeah, but it's, 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 it's like the, like, what are the things that we notice and we're constantly sharing these thoughts with each other, whether it's on a group chat or, or in a meeting. And that's always encouraged because, because everyone can learn from, from what that positive or negative or mixed experience was. Awesome. I know that we are kind of approaching the end of the time that we had booked for each other, which is kind of crazy to me how time flies, but we must be having a lot of fun. So I wanted to give Corinna, our lead listener, an opportunity to ask a question. Thank you for that. It's been really, really wonderful to listen 
to the three of you and to my two co-hosts. And one of the joys of being the lead listener is you, at the beginning, you're like, well, maybe it'll be this question. And then as the conversation evolves, you're like, no, 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 <laughs> it's going to be this question. And I think this thing that you all were talking about, about shared knowledge, which Lori elaborated on really beautifully as well, I think that's where I want to go. You know, one of the things that like Flux does is we try to make sure we do some like storytelling, you know, about the things that have happened <laughs> that create a, like a lore, right? It's sort of like Flux lore so that people who are new or, or you know, newer can feel that sense of like rootedness in the in the lifespan of flex you know it can be as simple as like we know the jokes but it can also be deeper than that it can be the kind of stories that reveal the the character of a community of a company you know you know to give an example very early in flexes like um history we had we were at another theater and they decided in the middle of our tech to hold a spaghetti dinner fundraiser for a different company so we <laughs> move everything uh back and basically retech immediately afterward we do not work with that theater ag uh, again but for a while after that during every tech we would bring a spaghetti dinner to the you know to the producing team the creative team and it was a way of sort of remembering reminding ourselves that when adversity happens you know food and community will see us through right and so that's an example of like lore that helps communicate you know the history the jokes but also the values and i'm wondering if you could share like some lore just maybe just one story that you feel like oh if you want to know about us here's this story that really speaks to who we are and how we do what we do stephanie i think our experiences may not be as poignant but they did teach us lessons in the first year our first show for ching chong chinaman we showed up for a matinee and there there's two doors to get into the theater the first door opens up into an alcove and we opened that first door and there was a vespa parked there and you could not get into the theater and we found out that it was the theater manager or owner's like girlfriend's vespa and they parked it there and we couldn't move it out of the way because it was locked and so you know you can't move it so i think we eventually figured it out like we got them to come and move the vespa for that same show there was one evening performance where it was right before intermission and the water got shut off and so no one could use the restroom then and we were running around trying to figure out how to turn the water back on and it turned out that the water main water valve for the for the whole building was actually street level and completely accessible so someone had just gone and turned off the water so luckily we figured that out and we went and we turned the water back on in time for intermission so then our subsequent so after that whenever we would tour a theater for subsequent shows or anything we always we always learn then to ask if there is an emergency what is there someone on on the premises who do we call what happens if they're not available so that's was kind of the beginning of our of our 
something we pride ourselves on is that we try not to make the same mistake twice. So we're never going to have a Vespa blocking the theater and we're never going to have our water. So I guess you can't say never, but we're, we're not going to not have water at our intermission. Um, and it, sometimes you just think that, you know, that was 12 years ago now. And luckily we have not had any type of kind of venue mishaps and problems like that. And I, we, t I think I tell myself that we just learned a really good lesson and know, know how to avoid maybe situations like that now. And I, I was going to, same theater, same theater that we were talking about, but we, part of the agreement was we had to take our own trash out every night. And, and so we're like, okay, yeah. But then eventually we're like, this is, this is really funny that we have to take our own trash and recycling off site. We couldn't even dump it in their dumpster. We had to just take it somewhere else. And so every time we tour a theater, one of our questions is, do we have to take our own trash out every night? And every time we ask that question, it's always like, there's a story there. That's, you know, like you can learn what lessons organizations have, have like learned from, from the kinds of questions that they ask. And so, so that's, that's definitely like another one. I love that. And I just want to see that, you know, I feel as though, as what Jason was saying, that sometimes it's just like logistical lessons that make everyone's life easier. <laughs> you know, you don't have to deal with the Vespa. Sometimes it's like the communication of values and how new people enter in and like learn and affirm and contribute to those values. But what I think is really exciting about that shared knowledge is that when new people come into it, they can feel it. They can feel that there's like a, what the language we use is a collective care, right? That kind of surrounds the process. And even if they're not always able to like notice it, they feel it. And it's like a, it's like a powerful thing. So I, I just wanted to say, I loved hearing you, you all talk about it. It, it really reminds me of what you were saying earlier about how like the part of the reason why your, why your name came about of artists at play is that like, y'all get the shit done so that you can make space for creativity, you know? And that actually is a really interesting learning because like so much of, I feel like what gets, what what kind of, not like weighs us down at Flux, but like there's like, like we got to like apply for all these grants. We got to like figure out the rehearsal venues. We got to like all that stuff, you know, get, gets, it's like the muck before like you can get to the good stuff. And I've never really kind of heard it kind of really cleanly, you know, like this, the reason why, it pays or or it has value to have like, you know, a production assistant or whatever, whatever that line that person is, is because it, it, it gives us the space to actually do the work. Yeah, I think we pride ourselves. Well, we, we do our darndest to make sure our artists are working from a place of joy because that's the best place. That's the best, that's the best way to create art, right? And like, I know as an actor, I've been in, far too many situations where we are all we, the actors are operating from a place of fear or anxiety, you know, not great feelings when, when you're being asked to <laughs> be creative and, and, you know, do this, bring this work to life. So as, as hard as it is, and we, you know, we, we definitely had challenges. I think that's what we strive for. 
that, that we all know that there is an end product, there is a finish line that we are all working towards. And I, I guess to add also to this lore of, I don't know if it actually would be part of our lore, but I know that artists really enjoy our snacks. We, we make sure our artists are fed and we've also introduced, we're proud to have introduced many individuals to the deliciousness that is Vietnamese sandwiches. Stephanie has provided bun me for many a rehearsal or event. So I don't know if that is part of our lore or our reputation in town, but artists that play will will have snacks. I know you missed out, Jason, because we worked together virtually. I know, I'm so jealous. Had we, had, had, we, <laughs> had we worked together in person, you would have been privy to all that. That that totally reminds me. I did a, a reading of of a play once, and it was like about like my grandma. So it's set in China. So my my husband, who's this wonderful cook, he like at the at the at the reading, he was like, "Oh, I want to like make stuff for people to eat during intermission." And I was like, "Like, honey, like it's like the last thing that's going to be in anyone's mind is like freaking food. Like, we, we I, I I can't I can't like devote any more brain cells to that because I'm like you know in producer mode and everything. Right? Turns out. That's the only thing that anybody remembered. Like everyone, like literally afterwards, like emails and emails about like, can I get the recipe for your sticky rice? Can I get the, I was like, and what about the <laughs> wonderful play that you just watched? No, it was all about the food. I'm like, okay, noted. <laughs> the food is important. Wow. I'm like, oh, sorry. No, 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 Julia. No, I was going to say, I mean, food, food is kind of like the love language for so many like Asian, Asian immigrant, immigrant communities. So you know, if anything, if if that is part of if the sticky rice and how good it was is part of the overall experience, you know, we'll take it. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen to that. And it'll help people. I was just going to say that it would help people show up again, you know, places where we feel safe and connected and seen and understood. Anything that helps facilitate that, those folks are, are going to be the ones that come back again and again. And, and that's mm -hmm. that's really beautiful. So I think we are coming to the end of our conversation. So I just wanted to thank all of you so much for speaking to us about how y'all share power at Artists at Play. I wanted to give y'all an opportunity to direct our listeners to where they can find out more about what's coming up next for, for y'all. You can find out more about Artists at Play's next show, which is the world premiere of This Is Not A True Story by Preston Choi, directed by Rena Dutt. On our website, artistsatplay.org, we're going to uh, present it as a co-production with the Latino Theater Company in downtown Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Theater Center. And we're opening mid-September and running through mid-October. I can't remember the dates off the top of my head, but everything will be online at artistsatplay.org. Awesome. We look forward to that. And thank you again to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please give us a like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It really helps more people find our content. And thank you again to Artists of Play. And we'll talk to you soon, talk to all of us soon, on the next episode of Sharing Power. <laughs> <laughs>